Good morning, faith family. It's wonderful to be back here worshiping our Lord with one another. Let's see what I did there. We uh, actually finished up our one another series uh, last week, and today we get to start a new series looking at the I am statements found in the Gospel of John. Before we do, I have a question for you. Does anyone know where the first baseball game played in the Bible is? Genesis. It was in the big inning. Eve stole first, Adam stole second, and Cain struck out Abel. All right. <laughs> All right. Please uh, bow your heads with me. Oh, Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Father, I pray this morning as we begin this new series of looking into the way that you describe yourself, Lord, that our ears are open to hearing your words, that our hearts are open to receive your truth. Father, that our minds are open to understand more of you this morning. Father, speak through me this morning as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we are beginning a new series looking at the I Am Statements. And what we need to do first is go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God is speaking to Moses, okay? And he makes this incredible statement about himself, describing himself, saying, I am who I am. That is literally translated, exists that which exists. There is no time outside of God. There is no beginning origin to him. He is the great I am. And we fast forward a few years into the New Testament. Jesus, the Son of God, uses that same language. He makes seven profound I am statements about himself, describing himself. And each week we will cover one of these I am statements. If you have your Bibles, you can turn now to John chapter 11. And we will begin our first examination of what is actually known as the pinnacle of the seven I am statements. And while you're turning there, I would like to note that aside from Jesus' birth, the miraculous conception, his perfect, sinless, and spotless life, the death on the cross where he bore the wrath of God for my sins, the, after his resurrection, uh, spending three days in the tomb, aside from all of that, the event that we are examining this morning is regarded as the most miraculous and significant miracles that Jesus performed in his earthly ministry. And it's because of that, I count this opportunity of preaching this word to you this morning as an absolute honor and privilege. So if you're in John John chapter 11, we're going to start looking at the first six verses. You can follow along in your Bible or follow along on the screen. But it's in these first six verses we learn that Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary from the village of Bethany, became ill. We don't know what Lazarus was ill with, but 
it was enough for both Martha and Mary to send for Jesus. And Jesus' response in verse 4 says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I can tell you when I have received the news of a loved one being sick, not even to the point of death, just being ill, but definitely to the point of death as well, I go into panic mode, right? I immediately start praying, and I start thinking all of the logistics. My, my wife is in the army, so uh, can she get leave? Is it in her mile radius? Uh, do I take the kids with me? Do they stay behind with her? Do we need to get babysitters? How many hours is it going to take? Do we drive? Do we fly? All of these logistics are flooding my brain. But Jesus, cool as a cucumber responds, and I'm paraphrasing here, this sickness does not lead to death. This sickness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will be glorified through it. And even cooler yet, in verse 6, tells us that Jesus decided to not immediately rush to Martha and Mary, but instead he decided to stay two days longer in the place where he already was. That is a fantastic example of peace, of patience, of self-control, even slow to anger. See, Jesus doesn't panic like I do, like we might, right? Paul characterizes him in 1 Corinthians 14.33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Your translation might say chaos. He's not a God of chaos. He is a God of peace and order. And we see that when he receives this hard news of Lazarus, whom he loved, is ill. Jesus stays cool, calm, collected. Because he understands that this sickness does not bring death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God will be glorified through it. Amen? One of my study Bibles uh, offers this wonderfully detailed explanation I thought was worth sharing. It reads, The decision to delay coming did not bring about Lazarus' death since Jesus already supernaturally knew his plight. Most likely, by the time the messenger arrived to inform Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. The delay was because Jesus loved the family, and that love would be clear as he greatly strengthened their faith by raising Lazarus from the dead. The delay also ensured that Lazarus had been dead long enough that no one could misinterpret the miracle as a fraud or mere resuscitation. So in other words, Jesus decides to stay two days longer after receiving this hard news for the sole purpose of edifying, bringing glory to, and honoring God the Father by employing a supernatural miracle healing that no one could discredit. We come to verse 7. After those two days... Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Let us go to Judea again. 
Then in verse 8, we see the disciples either warning Jesus or arguing with him, saying, again, I'm paraphrasing here, the Jews were just seeking to stone you in Judea, and you want to go there again? And Jesus responds, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now it's rather obvious the disciples were afraid to go back to Judea. After all, they were wanted men, right? Especially Jesus. But notice how Jesus sees everything around him as an opportunity to strengthen the faith of those around him. Everything is an opportunity to teach those around him. Even when the disciples, his disciples, are arguing with him, as I do believe they are here, he, he doesn't engage in their banter. Instead, he, he loves them. He teaches them another lesson. The lesson here is that as night and day are split into two, so is this world. Some will follow Christ, some will not. Those who do follow Jesus have the light and therefore are not walking in the darkness. But on the contrary, those who are not following him are walking in the darkness. They're constantly stumbling. They are dead in sin. I believe that Jesus is charging his followers and, by extension, us, as we are his followers, reading his word of God, reading his word this morning. Amen? He's charging us to to follow him, to not argue with him, not having the, the faith that he will guide and protect us, but to trust that he will guide us, that he will protect us, for he is our light. He is the light of the world. Picking back up here in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken about his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. I love how direct Jesus is. He's not trying to be over-the-top nice. He's not trying to be politically correct, like we're told to be in our society today. He's very direct with them. And in my head, I kind of imagine, how would this go? How would this exchange look like if it was today? And I think it would go something like this. Uh, Hey, friends, do you have a minute? You remember our friend Lazarus, right? Well, he's not feeling very good. So I was thinking that maybe we could take a trip to go see him. I know it's a long journey. I know you guys have a lot going on. No, No pressure, no pressure. But I think it'd be great. Maybe we can get some fellowship together. Maybe we can pray over him when we get there. Again, I know it's a long journey, but it'd be great if we went together, guys. What do you say? Maybe we can get a piece of cake for Martha and Mary. Mary loves her coffee. Do you think she likes Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? But that's not how Jesus talks. He's direct. He tells them, hey, our friend Lazarus 
has fallen asleep and I'm going to awaken him. But because of their ignorance, their unbelief, he has to look the disciples right in their eyes and tell them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, for your unbelief, for your ignorance, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you too may believe. Now let us go to him. He may as well have called them fools while he was at it. We come to verse 16. I adore this verse so much. So Thomas, called the twin or Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is not talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus. He's saying, Let us go with Jesus to Judea. So when the Jews capture him, when they arrest him, when they put him to death, that we too might be put to death with him. That's loyalty. It's unfortunate that many of us know Thomas as, let's hear you all say it, Doubting Thomas. But I don't think Thomas was being sarcastic or pessimistic, as some try to suggest. I think Thomas was loyal to Jesus. I think we see that clearly here in the scriptures this morning. He was loyal to Jesus to the point of wanting to literally die with him. In verse 17, Jesus and the disciples arrive just outside the village of Bethany where Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. We read here in verse 19 that many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now this, this tells us that Martha, Mary, Lazarus, this family was probably a well-known family. They were probably a, a fairly prominent family at this time. And Martha, in verse 21, says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give it to you. I think many people look at that text and quickly judge Martha for not believing in the immediate healing of Jesus. But I see it differently Like Thomas, I see Martha as a faithful servant to Jesus Christ. I see Martha as a a believer, recognizing his powers being so vast and majestic that it was only Jesus who could have healed her brother. And I think it's clear in Scripture, too, that Jesus saw Martha as a believer, knew her heart as a faithful servant. Because his response is not, ye of little faith, but rather in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Quickly, Martha responds to Jesus, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I just want to pause there because for Martha to understand the resurrection in the last day is huge. Okay? This is the very stuff the disciples were struggling to understand. And they were following Jesus. They were living with Jesus, eating with Jesus. They sat under all of Jesus' teachings. 
they even got to witness first-hand accounts of Jesus performing miracles, not once, two times, three times, several times. And they still struggle to understand these very things. But Martha, a woman who in first century Rome wasn't even counted as a person, understood. She heard Jesus' teachings. She accepted them. She lived them. She, Mary, and Lazarus. It's no wonder why Jesus loved this family so much. We come to verse 25 where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus knew that Martha believed him as the Son of God, as the Messiah, the Christ, because of her faith, Jesus promised, Your brother will rise again. Church, do you believe like Martha? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming again? Yes, yes. If this is something you do not understand, there's no shame in that. In fact, I count that as a, as a blessing because really it's an opportunity for us to share that love of Christ with you this morning. Then what happens in verses 28 through 44, it's absolutely beautiful and perfect in every way. Martha called for her sister Mary, saying, The teacher is here and is calling for you. Quickly, not slowly. She didn't take her time. She didn't wait. Quickly, she got up. She went to Jesus, and everyone who saw her also got up and followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb where her brother Lazarus was laying to weep. But reaching Jesus, Mary falls to his feet, and she echoes exactly what her sister Martha said earlier. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who also came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. This is a touching story for many reasons. One, we see the human characteristic of God being emotional for his people. For me and for others in this room today, there's a personal element to this story. Like Martha and Mary, I lost my brother in 2010 at the age of 25 to an accidental drug overdose. I can assure you I did not react the same way these sisters did. I was full of 
anger and rage. I was questioning God. I didn't understand why the things happened that did. I got to the point where I even wanted to take revenge on certain individuals. But Mary and Martha sent for Jesus. They both ran to Jesus. They, Mary fell at the feet of Jesus, showing her love and reverence for the Lord. Both women proclaimed the same belief, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They believed that he was the Messiah, the only one who could have healed their beloved brother. Because of their loyalty, their unwavering faith, their love for Jesus, he was deeply moved in spirit. He literally wept for them. The example of this family trio is something I believe that we should all aspire to. They love Jesus with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their strength. And based on the reactions and interactions that Jesus had with this family, not just here, but also when, when they welcomed Jesus and the disciples into their home, they, they fed them, they ate together, they fellowshiped. Mary washed the feet of Jesus with her very expensive perfume. Even in all that, Jesus loved them too. Do you believe in Jesus like Mary and Martha? Do you call for Jesus in hard times? Are we running toward the Lord and falling at his feet in times of grief? Do we treat fellow believers with love and compassion like they did? Are you willing to give up your most expensive possessions to wash the feet of Christ as we see Mary do in chapter 12? Or are you keeping it for yourself, saving it for that special occasion or that special someone? Got to tell you, he is that special occasion. He is that special someone. Amen. Deeply moved again and clearly in a state of sadness. Verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Church, if we want to see the glory of God, we have to believe. Now, I did some research into what happens to the human body after four days of of death. And um, I learned there are four distinct Stages. the last one being skeletonization, when there's nothing left to the human body but the skeleton. Now, our friend Lazarus here had gone through two of those four stages. He was, at very least, 50% of the way to being nothing more than a skeleton. And what I found to be most interesting in this research was really all the gross stuff, all the really gross stuff is completed by day or three, but usually... Uh, on average, by that 72nd hour. But again, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days, so he was well past that 72-hour mark. Uh, I'm going to share very briefly and quickly 
uh, some of the things that the body goes through in that 72 hours, or there will be no pictures or anything, so you don't need to worry. <laughs> but the point of this is to bring an understanding of where Lazarus was at when Jesus arrived, okay? And before we get into that, we should also know that the Jews did not embalm like we do today. So once someone died, there was no stopping that decay process. And what they would do is they would wrap the body, like we think of a mummy, and sprinkle spices on top. And that was to help mitigate the smells and the odors. So once the heart has stopped beating, all of the body's cells are deprived of oxygen and then begin to rupture and die off. The beginning stages of decomposition are now in play, starting with the internal organs. After about three to six hours of dying, all of the blood drains the lower parts of the body, forcing the muscles to stiffen, which is known as rigor mortis. Rigor mortis peaks at about the 12th hour, allowing the muscles to finally relax and begin to decompose. The skin produces a glossy sheen as the internal organs blister from lack of blood flow, and the internal organs begin breaking down. That's stage one. By the 24th hour, all heat in the body is gone, and the rigor mortis cycle is complete leaving the body no longer stiff but soft, enabling the muscles to decompose. Meanwhile, on a deeper micro level, the cells are dying off, allowing the bacteria in the body to eat off the dead cells, further breaking down the body's structure. Because the bacteria are eating what's left, the body creates a green liquid that seeps through the skin's pores, eating away any and all tissue the corpse has left, releasing the horrific smells of hydrogen sulfide and methanes. By 72 hours, all internal organs are completely decomposed. That's stage two. Meet Lazarus. This is the condition Lazarus is in when Jesus arrives and orders the stone to be rolled away. When Martha says to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. This information is important for us to know because it for sure tells us Lazarus is dead, (laughs) right? And beyond that, it crushes any uh, theory that liberal scholars have as they try to suggest that Jesus simply resuscitated Lazarus, put that to rest. The difference between Jesus and Lazarus, of course, is that Lazarus then went on to die a second time, whereas Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death and living forever. Amen? Amen. Verse 41, So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You have heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some commentaries that I read in preparation for the sermon this morning suggested that when Jesus said these words, he had to use Lazarus' name because the very power of the voice that which spoketh the stars into existence 
would have raised all the dead bodies everywhere. Verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Church, there is hope in the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It is only through Jesus Christ that you will have that eternal life. You have to believe. We must look to Jesus for the life, as did our examples this morning in Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? We need to recognize as believers that death is not a destination, but rather a transition. It is because of the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, that there is life beyond the grave. And as Christians, we understand there is life after the death. That's not the question. The question is, this morning, where are you transitioning to? Heaven or hell? You will go to one of those two places. Death very well may be the end of this short temporary earthly life, but it's just the beginning of the everlasting, never-ending, eternal life. Billy Graham once said, Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Amen. Where are you going? Do you believe Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? I'll end with this last note. Christianity is not some kind of insurance policy that we get to pass on to our kids after we die. It's a lifestyle that we must live. It is something that we set the example, showing our children and and those around us the importance of the eternal life that comes after this temporary life. Church, a life in Christ is a life worth living now. It's a life worth living today. Do you believe this? Please bow your heads with me. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. It is only through you, Lord, that we have hope. Everything this world tells me is great is dead. Lord, it is you that we long for. 
It is you. We have eternal hope. Father, there are people here this morning who are questioning the truth, the validity of this. There are people who do not understand, who want to understand. There are people who want answers. Father, I pray that you've worked in our hearts this morning, hearing this this message, Lord. I just want to provide an opportunity with your eyes closed. If this is something you struggle with, if these are questions you have, please raise your hand. We want to have opportunities for you to not walk out of here with those same questions. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor this morning. It is through you we have life. It is through you we have hope. It is through you we have eternity in your glory, Lord. We give you the praise and the honor. All in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.